we have three messages left for our, uh, the culture of who we are as a church. And the last three are kind of the mission statement of who we are as a church. And, and it's evangelize, equip, and empower. Our mission statement, if you will, is evangelize the lost, equip the saints, and empower them to step out into the ministry that God has called them to. And today we're talking about uh, evangelize. That, that's one of our primary purposes. When we ask ourselves, what are we here for as a church? It'll surprise some of you. It's, it's not so we have a great place to meet on Sunday morning. It's not so we can have all kinds of fancy um, uh, uh, programs and all those things. But really, our purpose as a church is to tell people about Jesus. It's to grow and build His church. And that is our vision as a church. Our vision as a church is to reach this city of Marana for the Son of God, for Jesus Christ. Because there are so many people that don't know him. There are so many people who are walking around lost. They're walking around hurting. They don't have any hope. They're wondering what's going on. But we're here to share with them the love of God that many have never experienced. Most people or many people have a father that hasn't even shown love to them, let alone uh, understanding how a, a heavenly father or God can love them when the people around them don't even seem to. But we're here to do that in Marana, to share the gospel with those people in this city, to tell them that there is a God who loves them. And it doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter their failures. It doesn't matter how much they've messed up that he still loves them because God doesn't love us for the things that we've done. He actually loves us in spite of the things that we've done. And I don't know about you, but that's a pretty good thing because I've done some pretty stupid things. I've done some stuff that I'm not uh, uh, going to tell you about. <laughs> but God still loves me anyway. You see, the thing is, is that as a church, we have the life of Christ inside of us. And how many know that Jesus loved people? That's what epitomized Jesus was his love for people. And we have him inside of you. You're born again. You have the life of Christ inside of you. And the truth is, is that as you begin to grow and mature, you'll find that you change on the inside. You'll begin to love people. Even people that, that you might not have loved before. And if you don't, you should start. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. If we're to imitate Paul, who was imitating Christ, that means that we're to love people, to show people love, to show them mercy, to show them grace, to actually let them know that they're cared about. Philippians 2, 3 through 8 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. A lot of people have been hearing that a lot from me lately because it's so important. He says, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. But that's not me, Pastor Wayne. Well, no, it says right here that this mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on the cross. Jesus considered everybody else so much more important than even himself that he gave up his life so that we could be made whole. He gave up his life to pay the penalty for every sin that we've ever committed, every failure that we've ever had. He loved us that much that in spite of the things we've done, he gave up everything. 
But the problem is, as Christians, so many of us, we just show up on Sunday morning and we never actually express that love to anybody else. You know, one of the things that always, that always uh, I notice when I look out and I see people walking down the street, like it actually, it actually breaks my heart because there's so many people that don't know him. And see, and that's the thing. If we actually believe what we say we believe, then those people are lost. And those people are going to spend an eternity away from God. And we can tell them of something better. How do you look at what God has done to you and given for you and paid for you and not want to share that with somebody else? Because he's given so much. And the truth is, is that as a church, everything we do will have that in mind. It's funny because some of the stuff that we do, it may not seem like that's in mind. We look at, we, you know, we try to get a nice projector and lights and make things look good in here. And you're like, How can that be for reaching people for Christ? Because I want when people come in here that there is no reason that they would want to turn around and walk back out. I want to take away every distraction. I want to take away every reason so they can sit here and hear the gospel, to hear that God loves them. Everything that we do is with the end goal of telling people about Jesus. Why do we spend so much time making the nursery look nicer? Well, if people don't want to bring their kids back, it's really hard to share the gospel with them if they're not willing to come back. Why are we doing all this work to help out with, with the, the school? Why are we trying to get stuff to, to, to help them out? I mean, that doesn't seem like we're not even going to see people, but help a couple. We want our name to be known as a, as a church that loves people. We want to be known as a welcoming church. Why do we have that moment of greeting again? Why do we, we, we have the time out front before the several time? Because we want people to feel welcomed and loved so that they have a reason to come back so we can continue sharing the love of God. When people come in for the first time, we want them to feel like they're part of the family. Everything that we do is with the goal of mind of somehow, some way, having the opportunity to share Jesus Christ with them. Because some people know that they're, they're, there's a void, there's something missing, that what they have isn't filling that void. And some people don't even know. But the truth is, is that as we'll see, that everybody needs a Savior. And the truth is, is if we ever find ourselves in a position where we have great programs, we have great stuff going on, but people aren't hearing about the gospel, then we need to reevaluate those things. One of the hardest things that we deal with as a church right now is finding ways that we can get out in the community and share the gospel with the resources that we're having. And trust me, the leadership team is, is constantly thinking about these things. What can we do? What can we change? And sometimes it doesn't move as fast as we'd like. But we have a mission. We have a plan. We have a goal. We want to do outreaches to reach people that have never been reached before. We want to do stuff like volunteering at the food bank we've done that in the past we're trying to get that ramped up again not because if you've ever volunteered at the food bank you actually don't see anybody but your little group and one person but you know what we're demonstrating his love in this community we want to make an impact in this community amen and the truth is is that you guys have been empowered to do so did you guys know that you've been empowered this is what the scripture says and and Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of this age. How much authority did Jesus have? All authority. And he told us to go out. That means that he delegated his authority to us. See, we recognize that Jesus gets his authority from God. Therefore, if Jesus gets his authority from God, the Father, and he gives that authority to us, there's no other authority that's higher than that. We've been given full authority. There's no person that has greater authority to tell you that you can't share the gospel with others. And we look at his life to see how do we exercise that authority because we look at Jesus' life and we see a couple things. One, he exercised his authority to teach. That means that we need to be teaching. Obviously, as, as a pastor and a leader, we're going to be teaching in different areas, but just because you're not a pastor doesn't mean that you shouldn't be exercising your authority to teach. You should be sharing the gospel. You should be teaching your kids every opportunity that you have. Jesus exercises authority to heal, which is why we lay hands on the sick and we believe God that they're going to recover. Jesus exercises authority to cast out demons. Do you guys know that you have the authority to do that? Jesus exercised his authority to forgive sins. Now it's true, we're not God. We don't have the ability to forgive sins, but we do have the ability to proclaim the forgiveness of sins which was accomplished in Jesus Christ. And the Bible doesn't say that we're called to make converts. The truth is, is that Christians are pretty good at making converts. People come up, say yes, and then they go back and never do anything but sit on a chair at most on a Sunday morning, and sometimes they don't even come back. They have an emotional experience, and nothing ever comes of it but the scripture says that we are called to make disciples that means that that when somebody comes up and gives their life to christ we don't just ignore them it's not just a one and done thing but we actually need to invest in their lives we need to teach them we need to help them have an opportunity now i recognize this is a two-way street it's really hard to disciple somebody when they won't answer the phone or they won't come over so it is a two-way street But as a church, we need to be involved in each other's lives, teaching, helping each other grow, encouraging one another. The thing is, is that when someone comes to Christ for the first time, immediately the enemy is going to begin attacking them because he doesn't want them to be there. And all kinds of stuff will come in their lives. Sometimes people have family members that begin to to come against them and persecute them for a decision that they've made. Sometimes people have friends or coworkers, or maybe the people, I mean, that was one of the hardest parts when I got saved because I realized that the life I was living is not the life that I wanted to live. But all my friends were still doing all that dumb stuff. So there was always a, a, a persistence of, of, of someone trying to make me go back to be who I used to be. But we need to walk alongside people to encourage them, to help them get above what's going on in their life. You see, being a disciple is kind of like being an apprentice. I think that's the best way to describe it. That means you come alongside and you learn from them. You spend time with them. You know, when we look at Jesus' disciples, what did they do? He said, follow me, and they followed him. They put down everything. They walked away from family. They walked away from their livelihood to follow him. And when Jesus went somewhere, they followed. I really doubt Jesus had to call people 
Like, Peter, come on. Peter, I really need you here today. we got some stuff that we're working on. Do you think, oh, you have something else going on. Well, okay, I understand. You know, that's one of the, the struggles that I face when I'm, uh, we're trying to get stuff going and work. It, there's, life is always getting in the way. Has anybody ever considered that, that the reason why you always have stuff coming in your life is because the enemy doesn't want you to get involved and be more involved in what the kingdom-minded work that is going on? It's interesting how often people will get sick on a Wednesday night. I think Wednesday nights is actually statistically the night that most people get sick in the Christian world. I, I mean, at least in this church it is. You would not believe how many people get sick on a Wednesday night. You guys laugh. But it's true. I asked, asked Pastor Joe who's been here. I don't, Thursday. I feel great. Tuesday, I feel great. Wednesday, it's awful. Did you ever think that maybe somebody doesn't want you to be there? Maybe God has something for you. Now, the ones that I think is crazy is, Pastor Wayne, I can't make it to the healing service because I don't feel well. Maybe that's the place you should be. You see, being a disciple is like being an apprentice. That means that, that you actually have to to put in the time you have to if you want to learn if you want to grow you need to find someone you can come underneath and and get taught and learn jesus said to the apostles he said all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me go therefore and make disciples how many guys know that this is for you though not just the apostles you know the the interesting thing about this is that so many people will take the words of Jesus and say, oh no, he was just talking to the apostles. He wasn't talking to all Christians. But I don't find that line up in Scripture because you guys remember the, the, the seven that were called to feed the widows? Remember Paul said, look, we, we have to devote our time to prayer and to preaching and teaching the Word, so we can't be feeding the widows. So we need to go ahead and, and we're going to find seven godly men. And two of those men the, the, of the seven is Stephen and Philip. And the reason I bring those two up is because that's the first time we hear about Stephen and Philip. They get involved feeding widows. Now, you know what? This wasn't a glamorous job. When, when Stephen and Peter were coming up, like, you know, one day I want to be, be a pastor. I want to be a worship leader. I want to I look good and be up front. And, and Paul's like, now nah, we need you to, to serve some soup. You know, that's like when, when someone comes up and says, hey, how can I serve, Pastor? Well, I'm going to need toilets clean. Oof, yeah, that's not really my gifting. <laughs> is there something else a little more showy that I can do? So they get picked. This is where they start. They start at the bottom. And they're serving soup to the widows. They're taking care of them. And God sees their faithfulness, and he begins to use them. And then if you read about them, Acts 6, 7 through 8, says the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing wonders and signs among the people. So Stephen steps out. As a matter of fact, Stephen gets martyred for his faith if you continue reading in the book of Acts. But he's doing signs and wonders. It wasn't an apostle. But he was obedient. He was going out there making disciples. Philip, Philip, the same thing happens with him. Acts 8, 4 through 6 says, And now those who were scattered went out preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and he proclaimed to them the Christ. He was just preaching the gospel. 
he got promoted. Started out working on some soup, and next thing you know, God's using him in amazing ways. It says, and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. Because Philip was special? No, because he was being obedient. One of the things that people tell me, that's a great message, Pastor Wayne. I I tell them, because I got good source material. You don't have to be terribly creative if you just preach the Word of God. And His Word has power. It says, And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip, and when they heard him, and they saw the signs that he did. I don't know if you've noticed this, but both these people, Stephen and Philip, they were were moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They were having signs and wonders happening around them. You know, one of the things that we talked about, uh, I mentioned before we started singing this, is to, to, to let God move in you. Stop being afraid. Stop being worried. If God gives you a word, share that word. If God gives you a scripture, share it. Because imagine what would happen if you were out there, your, 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 your friend that you've been praying for to be saved for years, and God gives you something that was just for them, but you were too afraid to share it, so no ground is ever broken. But what if God speaks to you and you share something that you couldn't have possibly known, or you pray for them and a miracle happens in their life? How much more receptive do you think that they would be open to receiving the gospel. We find out more about Philip. Philip actually gets referred to later in the Scriptures as Philip the Evangelist. Philip the soup server. Philip the disciple. And then Philip the Evangelist. Because he continues to be... This isn't just for the apostles. It's for every obedient member of the church. And God will move through you. You have His authority behind you and He will give you power to reach... Judea, Samaria, and all the regions beyond it to the end of the earth. Because the thing is, is there's a need out there, church. The problem is, is that when we're born, we're born broken. The scripture says in Romans 3, 10 through 18, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongue to deceive, the venom of asps is under their lips, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood, and their path are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. These scriptures are, are just like a, it's like a shotgun blast of Old Testament scriptures. He says, as it is written, and he just begins to, 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 to talk about where it is written in the Old Testament and the Psalms about these things. The problem is that when we are born, we are born broken. We are born not right with God. And something has to happen to make us right with God. And unfortunately, we can't pay that ourselves. There's nothing that you can do to be good enough to make yourself right with God. At best, you can give your life. But the thing is, is God loved us so much that He sent His only Son to pay that price for us so that we could be right with Him. Not uh, on a, according to our works, not according to how good we are again, but the Scripture says that it's a free gift so that no one can boast. And every single one of us has a need for Jesus. There's not one person on their own that's doing it right. And I remember when I was growing up, I was always looking for something. And I look back at my life, and I, I was trying to find it in girls and, and 
and technology and cars and, and drugs and alcohol and all these things. I was trying to fill a void. I knew there was something missing. I didn't know what it was. So I, w- I would go after these different things, figuring if I just do this, then it'll be okay. If I just do this, then I'll finally be happy. If I just do this, then I'll finally have the answers. And every time I would do those things, but what if it's not something that bad? If I could just get this job, if I could just make this much money, if I could just live in this place, everything is going to be okay. But we get there and it never fulfills anything because the hole that you have can't be fulfilled with stuff. The hole that you have is because we're born with a broken spirit inside of us, one that needs to be replaced with a new one. Paul here is saying ultimately that we're all sinners. He gives a bunch of places in the Old Testament to give evidence for that. This isn't something Paul was making up out of thin air. He's provided evidence that no Jewish person that can refute, that no person that accepts the authority of the Old Testament can refute these things. And they can't say that Paul's going against the Word of God. So how do we get right? How do we, if this is the reality, if you look out there, everybody out there walking around today that has not been born again, that has not accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they've got a hole. They're missing something. And they were doing the same thing that I am, trying to fill it in every other place. And the problem is, is that sin is temporarily pleasurable many times. But it always leads to just more emptiness, more hurt, and to more pain. And God said, I have an answer. Joseph said something this morning that every other religion in this world is about God or about men trying to become right with God. It's about all the things. If you do this, you can make it. If you'll do this, if you just help enough little old ladies across the street, then God's going to be happy with you. And it's all this laundry list of things that if you'll meet these requirements, then God will be happy with you. But Christianity is the one that's different. Because God recognized that there's nothing that we could do to make ourselves right with Him. There was no, nothing that you can do. Matter of fact, the Scripture says that all of our good deeds are as filthy rags. Nothing that we can do. So He said, you know what? I'm going to take care of it for you. And He sent His Son for us. And He did so without violating who He is. That's what I love about the gospel is that God made a way for us without violating who he is. God made a way for us without not being just. He didn't stop being God. He didn't ignore our sin because how many other God can't ignore our sin? The scripture says that darkness has no fellowship with the light. So the penalty had to be paid. The price had to be paid. You know, the simple analogy is if you go to court for a ticket, a speeding ticket, and You get up there and the judge says, you know what, you're guilty. And this is what the law says. The law says that if you do this, you have to pay this fine. But then when it's all said and done, he gets off his bench and he pays the fine for you. Justice was still served. The penalty was still paid. That's exactly what happened with Jesus Christ is that that he sent his son to pay the penalty that we owed. And Jesus gave his life for us because there was nothing that we could do to become right. And he didn't do it for the things we've done. Like I said, something I want to reiterate, it's in spite of the things that we've done. And we need peace. We need restoration. So many people are walking around with no peace. They have no hope. 
They have nothing to look forward to. And as Christians, our hearts should hurt for these people. Regardless of what they've done. Unfortunately, there's too many Christians that see somebody that's that's falling and walking in failure and they begin to curse them. They begin to tell them that they're hated by God, but they're not hated by God. You know, we see people standing in front of Planned Parenthood uh, hurling insults at, at these, these women going in to have an abortion, saying, if you have an abortion, God hates you. No, he's not going to hate you. But God wants something so much more for you. And obviously, we're always going to stand for life because it is a sin to kill anybody. It is a sin to kill an unborn baby. Or we have people, I've seen Christians stand in front of, of the LGBTQT parades and stuff, and they just hurl insults at these people. It's true that what they're good doing, God doesn't love. It is a sin. And if they don't receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and, and repent of their sin, that's the thing is it does recall for repentance. You can't keep doing the same old dumb stuff that you were doing and think that you're okay. A life-changing faith inside of you changes the way you live your life. There'll be evidence for that. That's why James said that, that you show me your faith without works. I'll show you my faith by my works. He was saying the faith inside of me causes something to happen. There's something visible that you can see. But the truth is, is that every single person who's living in sin, God loves them just as much as he loved you when you were living in sin. Your sin may be different, but your sin separated you from God just as surely as theirs. It's not a particular sin that causes us with issues with God. It's all sin, any sin that separates us from God. And the love of Christ inside of us should compel us to reach out to all those people who don't know him, to share the gospel with them, to let them know that there is something more. I just read an article today uh, in California. They're, they're trying to put to vote that, that even people that are in churches that are, that are pastors or priests or any of those things, that they can no longer speak out against um, uh, homosexuality and the LBGQ2, that L, what is it, LBGT something or other. They're, you can't speak out against it anymore. They're, they're in church, they're not allowed to say it because that's considered hate speech. and all. They're trying to pass a law for that right now. But the truth is, is that when we, in love, we should share that God has something more for them. They don't have to stay where they're at. The love of Christ should compel us to reach out to everybody that we see. And the thing is, church, is that we have to realize that each and every one of us has a personal responsibility to share the gospel. It's not just the pastors. It's not just the evangelists. Every single one of us has a, a personal responsibility to share the gospel with those around us. Because here's the thing, God loved them. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. We see a, a world that is broken. People walking around without hope, but there is a solution and we have the solution. And he sent his son because of his his. Un, almost unimaginable love for us. The reason why we sing that song about God's reckless love is not because we think God, God's reckless. Obviously, God is not reckless. God knew exactly what he was doing, but from a human perspective, to love that much seems crazy. 
from a human perspective, to love that much seems reckless. Why would anybody give up everything for somebody else? But all of this is because of his great love for us. John 15, 13 says, The greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. It's the greatest love that you can have, and God gave his life for us. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. We have a treasure inside of us, and why aren't we doing everything that we can to share it? I mean, when we do something good, we share that with people. I was I just started recently uh, building up my, my workshop out in the garage. I'm getting tools again, and I'm building stuff. And there's two things that I've built so far that I'm super happy, super happy about. One, I, I built my workbench, and it's awesome. I built it from scratch. And then I built a, a laundry rack to hold laundry baskets for Michelle. And I keep telling Joseph that I'm channeling my inner carpenter, doing all this stuff. I'm, I'm building all these things. And I began to realize something that I show people these things. I'm like, hey, did you see what I did? Look what I made. I'm more than willing to share that with somebody. And all of us have those things. We do something good. We have something we like. We, there's a TV show we like, a sports team we like. We're willing to share that with everybody, but it's like pulling teeth to get us to share Jesus with, one, with other people. The thing is, is that we have an amazing thing to share. It's the, it's the, the, quite literally, the best, most powerful thing in the world. And that's freedom. That's victory. That's salvation. That's rightness with God. Not that, not that we make people those things, but His Son, God's Son, died for them to be right with Him. And I think so many of us, we get, I think a lot of the reason why we, we don't share is because there's such, particularly in this day and age, this society, there's such a backlash about it, right? I show somebody my, my workbench that I built, no one's gonna, gonna accuse me of trying to, to impose my carpentry upon them. <laughs> but if I shared Jesus with them, that's, you know, why are you trying to push your religion on me? It's like, because I believe it. I've told the story before, but one of my favorite stories is uh, Penn and Teller, the, whichever one the big one is, I think it's Penn. He's a stout atheist, and one day he had somebody come up to him in his show and, and handed him a Bible, and he went on YouTube and had a little vlog about it, and he said, you know what? This guy came up to me, and he handed me this Bible. He says, I don't believe in God. There's no God. He's like, he says, I know there's not a God, but I appreciate what this man did because he believes there's a God, and he believes that if I don't receive Jesus, then I'm going to hell. And he said, you know what? This is an atheist saying this. He says, what kind of person do you have to be to not share the way out if you believe this? If you believe that the only path to salvation, the only way to be right with God is through Jesus Christ, what kind of person do you have to be to not want to share that with other people, to condemn them to to live and stay where they're at? So we're worried, though, because people push back against us and somehow we're imposing on their lives and, and, they, and, and really they, they try to make you feel like, I mean, that you're, you're sharing something that, that's fake. They try to belittle you. I mean, how many times I've seen people say, oh, you believe in fairy tales. Oh, you believe in this and that. And, and you know, I only believe in science and the whole thing. 
But this is what the Bible says. Second Corinthians two seventeen says we are not like many we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak Christ. We're not selling a fairy tale. We're not pushing snake oil. We're sharing with people as commissioned by God in the power of Christ, the only thing that can save them. Now, if you believe that, how do you not share that? And it's not just a subset of people that God loves like we talked about. He loves everybody. Mark 2, 15-17 says, As he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for they were, there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Everybody needs Jesus. You know, when we see people, instead of, instead of uh, uh, going out there and slinging insults at those who are gay or transsexual, how about we go there and befriend them and, and try to tell them that there's something better for them? When somebody's on their way to have an abortion, instead of telling them that they're awful people, how about we show them that there's a better way? How about we come alongside them and encourage them when somebody's falling, when somebody's failing, instead of throwing them under the bus, why don't we help them get back up? The thing is, is if we, if we think, we can think of, of unforgiveness or, or, or being unsaved as a disease and forgiveness is the cure and it's only available through Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that can change their life. And the truth is, there's, there's only three types of people that Jesus cannot help. There are those who don't know Him or know of Him. There are those who know of Him but refuse to trust Him. Or there are those who won't admit that they need Him. Now those last two, the ones that refuse Him or the ones that reject Him, there's not a whole lot we can do but pray for them. But the ones who don't know of Him, the ones who, who haven't heard of Him, or maybe the ones that have just heard His name on TV, those are the ones that it's our responsibility to share the gospel with so that they would have the opportunity to, to come in. And church, I wanna, how many of you guys would like to see this church grow? The only way that's going to happen is if we start inviting people in, sharing the gospel with people. The only way that's going to happen is if we tell people about Jesus. And that's actually how we want to grow. We don't want to pull... Uh, uh, Christians from other churches. They've already got a church home. Now, if someone's looking for a new place or they're not happy where they are or God's sending them someone else, we're never going to tell them they can't come. They're not welcome because they're always welcome. But our goal is not to, to play uh, Christian musical chairs. Our goal is to have people get saved, to come to know the Lord. The thing is, is that people are walking around, like I said, lost. Matthew 9.36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So many people are walking around and, and there's, that, there's that attitude that you know, we can't press our, our religion on them or we can't push them. Like when, when people tell that, that they don't want to raise their kids a certain way, oh, we want to let them make a decision for themselves. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. If you're not preaching to your kids, somebody else is. 
Every billboard that they see that says that, that if you want to have a good time, buy this beer or buy this car or smoke this cigarette or, or suck on this vape thing. I don't even know what they're called. I, I was done smoking before I got there. There's always something preaching to them. So if you're not preaching the truth, then they're going to follow that. Because the thing is, is that it's been said, I don't know if Jesus was trying to insult us all the time, but He's always referring to us as sheep. And sheep don't go anywhere on their own. They're always led by something. They're always led by someone. They need a shepherd, a leader. And if you're not going to lead your kids, somebody else is. And if you're not going to share the gospel and, 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 and try to lead other people, somebody else is. The thing is, is that if you know anything about sheep, when they're actually hurting them, trying to get them on, the, on the, the trailer to go to slaughter, they won't just go up in the trailer on their own. Somebody has to lead them. So they have what's called a Judas goat, a goat that they've trained to go up inside uh, towards the trailer. But right before the end of the trailer, it hooks a left, but all the sheep just blindly and dumbly just head up on up into the trailer so they can be led to the slaughter. We're very good at following. So let's give people something to follow. Let's share with them. Otherwise, they're going to get wrapped up in what's going on around them. They're going to get deceived into thinking that, oh no, if, if, uh, if we're not supportive of homosexuality or if we're not supportive of, of, of abortion, then we're a bigot or we're a, a womanist or we're a, a sexist or we're racist or any other thing that they want to sling against us because we believe that there's something better for people. Letting sin run rampant in people's lives is not the way to make their life better. So we approach them with, with, with grace and mercy. We don't sling insults because we understand we were wrapped up in the same stupid sin when we, when, when we were, before we came to know the Lord. It may not have looked exactly like theirs, but there was plenty of it. So many churches will, will let a, uh, won't let homosexuals in without making them feel bad, but half their congregation are living together and they're not married. How is that any different? Sin is sin. It has to be addressed. We have to teach people that there is a better way. There's something more. In Romans ten eleven through 13, it says, For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. First thing that's important here is there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. In our society, we could look at there's no distinction between young and old, rich and poor, white collar, blue collar. doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter where you work. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter. None of those things matter. God doesn't make a distinction. He loves you. And if you call on Him, if you believe on Him, you will not be put to shame. And I love it because it's not like a, a holy lottery. Like, it's pretty good odds. If you put your trust in Jesus, it's like a 90-10 a chance that you're going to be okay. But the Scripture doesn't say that anybody, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. There's no distinction. It's as simple as calling on His name. It's as simple as believing that He is who He says He is, that He did what He said that He did. 
One of the things I love about the study we're going through on Wednesday night is we look at the historical accuracy of Jesus. We see that he did live, that he did die. We see that, that all evidence points to he rose again. Historical evidence points that he rose again from the dead. And we see uh, historically a people who were broken when he died who came back and changed the world by sharing Christianity with everybody. They changed an entire society. And Christianity became the, the religion of Rome. I love the fact that we can look and see that he lived and he died. It's not something that we are, are, are putting blind faith in. And we can trust that everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. He's the only person that won't let us down. So this is where it comes into our responsibility. If they call on him, they will not be put to shame. So how do they call on him? Romans 10.14 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Jesus came for the lost. We know that if people call on his name, they will be saved. It's not an if, it's not a maybe, it's not a I hope so. If they call on his name, they will be saved. It's guaranteed. But just missing one piece, they have to hear about the gospel. They have to hear that Jesus loved them so much that he, that, that he came to, to earth as a man. And he gave his life to pay the penalty for the sin of all mankind. And when he was put to death, he died as a sacrificial lamb. And he rose again. And when he rose again, that was evidence that God said that, that what you did was enough. It was his, him rising again from the dead was God showing his approval for his son. And as a result, the scripture says that if we believe that Jesus lived, that he died, that he rose again, and we put our trust in him for salvation and forgiveness of our sins, that we will be born again, we will be made new, and we will be saved. But how will they call on him if they don't know? Well, Pastor Wayne, we live in the United States. Almost everybody's heard about it, maybe, but have they heard the, the real gospel or have they just heard about it on TV? Or maybe they were given an opportunity once and now they just need the opportunity again. Share with them. Let them know that God loves them. How will they call on him if they don't know? How are they to believe if they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? Church, we have to open our mouths so people can hear us. This is our responsibility to tear down strongholds, to tear down false notions of who God is. And to introduce people to a God who loves them. And let them know that he sent his son so that they could be free. So that they could be victorious. So that they could be forgiven. So that they could be saved and right with him. And the truth is, is you never know the things that you say, the impact that they can have on the heavenly kingdom. You know, you might speak to somebody and nothing will happen, but you're planting a seed for the next person to build a foundation on top of. Or maybe you'll have someone that you, you never thought about get saved. This is one of my favorite stories. It says, winning a child to Christ is, of course, infinitely valuable in itself, but sometimes we are winning even more. As the following story shows, Edward Kimball, a shoe shop assistant and a Sunday school teacher in Chicago, loved boys, and he spent hours of his free time visiting the young street urchins in Chicago's inner city trying to win them for Christ. Through him, a young boy named D.L. Moody got saved in 1858, and Moody grew up to be pre a preacher. 
1879, Moody won the Lord to the Lord a young man by the name of F.B. Meyer, who also grew up to be a preacher. And Meyer won a young man by the name of J.W. Chapman to Christ. And Chapman, in turn, grew up to be a preacher and brought the message of Christ to a baseball player named Billy Sunday. As an athlete evangelist, Sunday held a revival in Charlotte, North Carolina, that was so successful that another evangelist by the name of Mordecai Ham was invited to, pre- to Charlotte to preach. And it was while Ham was preaching that a teenager named Billy Graham gave his life to Jesus. And it all started with winning one child to Christ. You never know the impact that you're going to have when you share the gospel with somebody. I know the first person that, that shared the gospel with me, they knew me, and being a pastor wasn't on the list of things that they thought that I would grow up to do. And they'll never know, they may not even know the impact that they've made. Because God has used me to make an impact on people, and those people have made an impact on people. And exponentially, we're changing the world for Christ just by sharing with one. You see, church, we can make a difference. And it's what we're called to do. It's who we are as a church. And I want to encourage you, take every opportunity. When you look around and see the people in the grocery store or the gas station, man, think of it. Those are, those are people that God loves and he wants something more for. He wants something better for. And when you hear that voice in your head that says, go share with them, don't blot it out. Don't ignore it. I promise it's not the devil trying to get you to share Jesus with somebody. It's not some trick to embarrass you. Ask God to work in you. Pray for the gifts of the Holy Spirit so that you can be more effective. But church, let's make it our priority to share the gospel. And you'll see this church explode like you've never seen before. And you're going to see something amazing because every person that we touch increases our sphere of influence. Every person that that we minister to, then they can minister to somebody else. And you never know when you're going to have a story about the the shoe shop salesman who who eventually was down the chain to Billy Graham. And we know the impact that Billy Graham has had in our generation. So church, let's be those people. Let's share. Let's do what we should be doing. If we believe what we say we believe, really, we should have no other choice. 